0: I'm Matt Naya and this is Erica. We are the Corbins. We travel around the country full time in a motorhome with our five kids. And we go to churches and we lead worship music. My dad was a was a church planter and a pastor and then a missionary for a short time in the Philippines.
1: When I was really young, uh, we weren't going to church at that time, but I started doing a kids ministry and started asking my mom questions about the Bible. And she was like, well, I guess I'm the mom. I should probably know the answers. So she started going to church and then our whole family uh, became Christian. And then we met in college music class and after three days we planned our wedding date (laughs) because when you know you know yeah
0: and we were working with a church like almost right away and we've since come to recognize that there's a unfortunately a lot of churches that are run by people that maybe aren't ready for for ministry Mm -hmm. we we left serving that church and we just felt so hurt
1: and during that time um, matt's brother was killed and his dad also passed and it was just a season of grief and kind of wandering, like, what are we doing with life? In the fall of 2019 that we felt just such an urgency to go and like just being available to say, God, wherever you want to send us, we're here. We're here for it. We're available. And so we started remodeling the house and uh, about six months later, we were ready to sell it and we put it on the market and it sold within a month. And um, we we closed the doors on the house for the last time on passover and it was like a very marked beginning of a new season for our family
0: And we started a new kind of chapter of praying and asking god and looking for ways like how can we serve now we're seven people in an rv learning how to to be more gracious and patient the holy spirit was using all of these things to, to convict us and and to to shape us and reveal our, our weaknesses and his strength and and give us a desire to to bear better fruit. We were in Florida in January, and and, and so we, we were praying a lot about it, and Erica called a church down in the Florida Keys. Just, it was almost like throwing a pin at a map and saying, yeah. I'll call that church. The
1: pastor picked up the phone we knew it was just a God thing. He was crying on the other end, I was crying, and he had been praying for help with the music and basically said, how soon can you get here and how long can you stay? That built our faith so much, and from then on, it's been like just one open door after another. Our schedule is packed through the end of the year, and I think God had let us get so low to really depend on Him. We're still gonna trust in His faithfulness. And He has proven it over and over again. And there's nothing that can make me stop singing His praises.
2: incredible testimony about our living King of Kings like Pastor Peter was talking about this morning. And as I look out this morning at this 11 o'clock service, each one of us have a unique testimony. God is working in you. He's working through you. And he has not stopped. And he won't stop. Isn't that the good news this morning? Yes, he won't stop with his testimonies. Well, we're Dan and Rebecca Matier, and um, we come from Issaquah, Washington. and We've got three kids, and we were college roommates with Pastor uh, Peter and Stacy at Northwest University over 25 years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of life has happened, but um, this morning, we just want to testify about the faithfulness of God. We want to testify that he is a God who still makes a way when there is no way. And I know that you might be here this morning thinking, I am living in um, a story right now where I see no way out. And I just want to say this morning that the Lord wants to renew your faith in him, that he is still in control, that he is a God of miracles.
3: Absolutely. You know, the longer we serve and I serve God and and watch him work, uh, the more I realize I don't have any answers, but he's got all the answers. He's got everything that we need. And as I trust him, as I learn what it looks like to not rely on my answers, but just be a vessel for what he has, the more I see God do amazing Things through us and around us. Uh, I've got, so we've got some good friends now that we've gotten to know over the last few months. They showed up at our church never having been to church before as a couple. They'd been married for 30 years and they heard about this Jesus thing and responded to the message and said, we want to know more about this. And the prayer, the person, the altar worker, brought them to me and said, Pastor Dan, this couple is getting a divorce. They, They need some help. And I said, uh, Uh, let's let's talk. Can you meet with me? They said, sure, we'll come in. I found out they had already filed the paperwork for divorce. They were at the end of the process. There was one thing left to do, sell their house, divide up the assets, and that was it. But they just encountered Jesus. And so I said, God's got a plan. God's got an answer. Let's pray. Let me offer you whatever kind of guidance I can. And And their life just started to get filled with hope. And I I said, let's, let's meet again next week. Can we meet again next week? That's my strategy. Just keep talking and then, you know, give us some time, right? They said, okay, yeah, we'll meet again. And when we met the next week, they had taken their house off the market. They decided to stay married. They said, we don't know what what we're going to do. We got a lot to figure out, but we're going to give it a try. And today they hold hands to our church. They come to our marriage class. They're loving each other. They invited their brother and sister-in-law to come. They're evangelists for what God is doing in their life because they've seen it happen. They've seen the miracles happen. And it's exciting to be a part of that. And as I look around this room, I am excited for what God is doing here at True Grace. God is working in story after story after story, in individual after individual. And you know, when we look at the Bible, we see a consistent theme throughout all of Scripture that God comes through in ways that didn't seem possible right? Not only that are amazing and overwhelming that we didn't even know how to ask for. and God's people didn't know how to ask for. How could they ask God that he would rain down bread from heaven to feed them? How could they ask that Jesus would feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? How could they ask that Jesus would be risen from the dead? It seemed hopeless, but when things seem hopeless, God always has a way. Yeah. He always has a way. I love this verse. Uh, we had this written in our house and, and kind of live by this. this. is from Psalm seventy seven nineteen. 19. It says, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Yeah. No one knew was there. <laughs> Think about the people of Israel up against it backs to the wall, standing at the the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming to kill them. And what did they say? Did they say, all right, God, you know what I'm thinking? (laughs) Right through here. How about that? How about part the waters and we'll walk through? God, can you do that? That would have been impossible. But more than that, it would have been ridiculous. They didn't know that was an option. They didn't know they could ask for that. So what did they say? Why did we ever leave Egypt? Yeah. Why did we do this? Why, why we at least there we would have had food to eat and a life to live. But as they waited, as God led them to wait on Him to demonstrate His mighty power, He made a pathway no one knew was there. Right. Parted the waters that nobody knew how to ask for because that's how God. Does it? We could probably think of 10 or 12 ways that he could have rescued them out of this situation, but he didn't choose any of the ones we could think of. He chose his way so that all glory, honor, attention, and majesty would be drawn toward him. I want to talk to you about a Bible story from 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. We'll put it up on the screen here as well. It's about the prophet Elisha. And if you're not familiar with the prophet Elisha, I encourage you to read through 2 Kings. Great stories, amazing miracles. He saw some just absolutely incredible things happen as he trusted God. But here in this story, we find Elisha in the city, a walled city of Samaria with God's people, and they were being held under siege. There was an army that was continually trying to attack them, and God had saved them from this army, the Arameans, a few times. But now they were being held under siege. The army decided not to fight, but just to stand outside the city and wait. Mm -hmm. Wait until their provisions ran out until they had no more food, no more water, and they just died or surrendered. So they were here in this city. And here in, in uh, verse 25, 2 Kings six twenty-five, it says, "'As a result, there was such a great famine in the city. "'The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver "'and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver.'" That's a bad famine. Would you agree? A cup of dove's dung? I don't know what they were going to do with that. I presume they were going to eat it. If you're going to eat bird poop, you're a hungry person. Am I right? (laughs) Not only eat it, pay five pieces of silver for it. What a hook yeah, gross. (laughs) Now, there is, uh, I will say that there's some debate with translators that say, well, maybe they were talking about some kind of a seed pod that they just called dove's dung. Even so, you're going to eat something that the name you've decided to pick for that is Dove's Dung, right? Like, you know, it it doesn't sound very appetizing is my point. And this is a hopeless situation. And we just skipped over the donkey's head that's selling for 80 pieces of silver. This was a hungry group of people, people that had lost all hope. And and this is a, a terrible part. One of the most gruesome things in the whole Bible that happened next. But this woman came to the king of Samaria. Asking for justice because she had made an agreement with her neighbor and said, we will kill and eat my child. And after we've done that, we will kill and eat your child so that we can at least survive. And they did that. They, they killed and ate her child. And then the neighbor took her child and, and hid him and, and broke that agreement. And the woman came to the king and saying, bring justice. This is what happened. And the king was understandably furious But his fury, his rage was directed toward God because he knew God could deliver them and wasn't. He knew that God could come through with an answer and no answer was coming. So in verse 31, the king said, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Have you ever felt like that? Not like, God, you could fix this and you're not. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and no answers coming. Why should I wait any longer? But Elisha brought a testimony of faith. Elisha brought a word from the Lord. Elisha had seen God come through over and over and over. In verse uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha replied, listen to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, the markets In the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver. And 10 quarts of barley grain will cost just one piece of silver. Now, how could that be? If they're buying bird poop today for five pieces of silver. How could a whole barrel of barley flour, of choice fine wheat flour, just be sold for one piece of silver? There's no way, right? Even if they, they conquered the enemy that was outside, the economic recovery would take a while, right? Before kind of the economy and that, that, that inflation that had happened there went back to normal. And one of the reasons I really love this story is it's kind of an obscure story. And, and for most of us, we're saying, yeah, what did happen? Right? Like, it's hard to imagine we, what, what could happen, what might happen. But a core principle of faith in God is that just because I can't imagine a scenario in which God could do something, it doesn't mean that God can't. Do something. God is always in control. He always has a solution. He always has a pathway, even if it's a pathway no one knew was there. You want to know what happened? Okay, let's finish the story. There's four men in the city who had leprosy. They talk to each other and they say, We're going to die in this city. There's a famine. We're going to starve to death. Even if food and provision comes, we're last on the list being lepers and outcasts. Let's go out of the city and surrender to the Arameans. Maybe they kill us. They probably will, but at least it'll be over quickly. Maybe they'll have mercy on us and take us in as slaves. Either way, let's go out. They go out of the city and where the Aramean army had camped, they found their tents, their provisions, their silver and their gold, but no one was there. God had sent The sound of trampling horses and chariots to thunder through the hills. The Arameans heard this sound that was sent by God and said, oh no, the Israelites have hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to come and conquer us. Let's flee, let's get out of here. They ran away and left everything behind. And these four lepers started to enjoy all of this bounty and said, we can't keep this to ourselves. They went and told the people of the city what would happen. Everyone flooded out into the the aramean camp and the very next day guess what four quarts of choice flour sold for just one piece of silver and eight quarts of barley flour sold for just one piece of silver it came true even though nobody knew and it could imagine how it can come true because god always has a way God's word is the final word. And it doesn't matter how desperate and impossible things seem. seem. We serve a God that by this time tomorrow can change everything. Even though we don't see a way out doesn't mean God doesn't see a way through. Hebrews says that without faith, Mm -hmm. it's impossible to please God. But faith can be hard when things are sensitive. Faith can be hard in, pain, in the midst of pain or difficulty or, to say it another way, in those things that matter the very most. And what sometimes gets missed with this concept of faith is faith isn't just something we have. It's something that we grow, something that we cultivate, something that Jesus wants to do in us and stretch in us. How does Jesus talk about faith? He talks about it a lot of times like a mustard seed. In one parable in Matthew 17, he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. And then in Luke 13, he talks about that same seed, the mustard seed, and says, even though this seed is the smallest of all seeds, it grows into a huge bush where birds can build their nest. Faith is something that we plant and grow and by God's grace and by seeing him come through we cultivate we see grow and flourish in our life I'm a runner that's my thing uh, and a couple of years ago I, I trained for my first marathon you know there was a world record in the marathon set this morning of the yeah. Chicago marathon new marathon record set, set for 23 years no one seems very excited about that I'm excited about that <laughs> Uh, and this this is how you train for a marathon if you're curious and you want to know. You, you run uh, every day. This is the easy way to do it. Run every day for 20 or 30 minutes and then do a long run once a week. So when I set out to start doing my marathon, I felt like I was in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. And, and so I did the longest run I could do, eight miles. And by the end of the mo- eight miles, I was in done. My feet hurt. My ankles hurt. My knees hurt. My hips hurt. And all I could think was, that's not even a third of the way there. How am I going to do this? But the next time I went out for a long run, I said, okay, I'm going to stretch it. I'm going to go this time. I'm going to go 10 miles. And guess what? That first eight miles, it was no problem. I had it. Like, I, it wasn't as hard as it was the, the, the first time, but that last two miles, miles 9 and 10, were painful. I could barely keep going. I had to do an out and back so that I couldn't quit, right? Like, I got to at least get back to my car, or get back to my house. And then the next time, I did 12 miles. And guess what? The first 10 miles were easy. Why? Because I'd been there before. But that last two miles, it was painful. It was stretching. And I kept doing it and kept doing it until I got up to 26 miles. And that's how it is with faith. When we cross, when we trust God into territory that we haven't been to before, it's tough. It stretches us. It can even be described as painful. But when we see God provide and come through in new ways, the next time we're there, we go, no problem. Because, God, I know I've been here before. And God wants to raise a generation of people who trust him for more and more and more, who pray with greater and greater faith because we've seen God come through. Faith is depending on God every day and in every circumstance and trusting him for more tomorrow than we did yesterday.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, this, it's hard, this paradox of faith, you know, and also the reality that you're living right now. And Dan and I have just come through a six-year trial of faith. It wasn't easy at all. We had many days of tears. We had a lot of days of hardship. And so this morning, I just want to testify to you about it because it's something that's so fresh that just happened to our family. In fact, this morning, I want to testify that God still speaks. Do you believe that? He does. And he wants to speak to you. And he wants you to lean into him and ask him, what are you saying? Are you saying wait? Are you saying go? Are you saying go into unknown territory? God still does miracles. You know, well, we needed a miracle. It was six years ago that um, we, we had been at a church in Linwood. If you were here at the marriage conference, you heard a little bit about our trials in Linwood and all the things. And God was calling us back to serve at a church that we had served at a while back But there was no house because it was a very expensive area in the city of Sammamish. We thought, Lord, how can we move here and serve you with what's in our hand? It doesn't make sense. And truly, there was not a house. There wasn't even a house to rent. Until we found one house, it was a teardown house that the the, uh, owner was willing to let us rent until he could get his final permit to demolish it. And so we walked in the house and we brought our three children in and they took one look at the house and they said, "Um, mom and dad, this house is haunted and no way we are not moving here. And I was like, come on, kids, I am like basically Joanna Gaines, and I can make this house into a miracle. And they were like, Mom, you duct tape the upholstery. You are not Joanna Gaines. And I was like, just trust us, come on. It's what we can afford. And so our family moved into this house. And you know, we said, it doesn't matter, kids. We're kind of a glasses half full family, and we're just gonna live here a year. We're all oh, we're gonna just live here a year. And I wonder if you've said this to God at some season of your life and some job that you have. All right, God, I'll do it, but I'm only doing it for a year. And how many of you know somehow those years multiply and you are still doing what you said you would only do for a short time. I read this scripture, Proverbs sixteen nine. It says, the heart of a man plans his way, don't we? But the Lord establishes his steps. And some of you are taking steps way longer than you ever planned to take. And you are in seasons of your life that are taking way longer than you ever thought would take. And that is where we found ourselves. In fact, there was no floor. It was just a cement floor. There was no ceiling downstairs. There weren't enough bedrooms. And so Dan and I, being the creatives that we are, thought, hey, we're going to turn this dirt room into our master bedroom. And so we threw down some free carpet, and we put our bed in there. We put some curtains over. For the spider webs, we called it good. And this is the house that we lived in. Well, little did we know this was going to become a six-year trial and testimony for our family. It was just a little over a year into this living in this haunted house, if you will, that the Lord spoke to me in a dream. And, you know, I don't always have dreams from the Lord. Most of the dreams are just wild or wacky. But this particular time in the dream, I found myself in the very Bible story that Dan has just presented to you in the book of 2 Kings. And there I was standing in the city of Samaria, and I was witnessing all of these people starving, calling out to God, saying, Lord, what do we do with this impossibility? And so there I was in this dream, and I was standing in the city, and Jesus was present. And I said to Jesus, what do I do with this impossibility? We can never get a house. We'll never know where to go. What do we do when the landlord's going to tear it down? What do we do with the impossibility? And in my dream, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Rebecca, if you will wait for the provision of this rental house to be over, your house will be waiting. If you will wait for this provision of the rental house to be over, your house will be waiting. And so I woke up that morning and I told Dan about the dream and he said, that is a crazy dream. Great. When's the rental house going to be over? Maybe next week, maybe next month. And so we thought, well, that's kind of cool, but who knows if it was the Lord or not. And we just continued on with our way. The very next week I had the same dream calling out to God about our house and about the burden on my heart. And he said the same thing to me. Rebecca, if you will wait, your house will be waiting. And so I told Dan again about the dream. And he said, oh, that's interesting. We had pizza last night, probably another bout of indigestion. When is this provision of this awful rental house going to be over? And then a week passed, and one more time I had the same dream, and that's when I knew, God, maybe you're speaking something to me. It's a word you want me to hold on to. And so Dan and I, year after year, we were holding on to this word that God would prove himself faithful if we would just wait for this provision to be over. But I'm telling you what, the provision was never over. This awful rental house that we lived in never ended. And so there we were just wondering what God was going to do in this rental house. And as you know, the housing market just kept going up and up and up and up. And every year that passed, it began to seem foolish. And so Dan and I thought, I don't know, maybe it wasn't a word from the Lord. Maybe we should go look for a house. And so we would go and we would try to find rental houses. And every time we would sit in the parking lot, the Holy Spirit would remind me, Rebecca, I love you. But you need to wait for the rental to be over. And your house will be waiting. You're going to miss it. And so I would come to Dan and I would say, I'm so sorry, my hands are tied. I have to be obedient to this word. And so Dan said, man, I wish you hadn't had that word, but we're married and I want to be unified. And so we would pray through it, even though it felt like the foolish thing to do was to hold on to the hope of God. And you know what? This can be hard in your marriages and in your life when you have a season of waiting. You have a season of wondering what God's going to do. You get angry at each other. You get angry at your bosses. You get angry at the people around you waiting for the miracles and the provision of God. But what God is doing in your journey right now is allowing you to understand what faith does for you, what faith does for the people around you, the attitude that you work with and that you wonder with and how you keep journeying on. And Dan and I had this one fight and the fight was this, what defines a miracle? And so we would talk and we would fight about it. And he would go, well, it's a miracle that there's food on the table. And I would say, that's a provision. That's not a miracle. And we were defining, what is a miracle? Is it a miracle that we're breathing? And this this is the conversation we would have. And it would go back and forth between the two of us. What defines a miracle? And so as any good wife in a debate did, I Googled, what is a miracle? (laughs) And so this is what Google said a miracle is. A miracle is defined as an extraordinary event that is not explainable by natural or scientific law and is therefore considered to be a work of a divine agency. A miracle is something impossible. I wonder this morning, do you still believe in miracles? I thought I did, but when I was in the middle of a need, I was like, I don't think he does it. I don't think he does miracles anymore. And I was wondering, does God still perform a miracle? And we were reminded of that scripture that he makes a pathway when there is no other way, when there seems to be no way out. And by the time we were done with six years, just last April, our uh, landlord knocked on the door. And he said, "'Well, good news, I got the permit to demolish the house you're living in. You have 30 days to move out.'" But I had had a dream, and we had been patient, and we had held on to the word of God, and surely God was going to come through. Surely God would be faithful to his promise." And so we began to wait, and we were wondering, what's going to happen? Is this house going to fall out of the sky? It's going to drop on the Wicked Witch of the West? Like, we don't even know. How is God going to do this? Because it was an impossible situation. And I'll never forget, we came down to that very last night, April 30th. And, you know, in this house, for the last two years, we had been living without heat. And the landlord wouldn't fix it. We'd been living with space heaters, and we couldn't wait for this day to come. And my kids had been praying, and they had heard the story of the dream, and they had been believing with us. And so we gathered our kids into the living room, and all of our kids, all five of us, we got down on our knees... And we began to pray, God, be faithful to your word. And do you know that your children are watching you? They're watching your faith as you journey and travail through difficult seasons, through these seasons of hardship where miracles didn't come in your timeline, and it's been way too long. You know, God is present with you in that, and your kids are watching you. And so I remember it came down to April 30th, and we didn't know where we were gonna go the very next day. And my kids in their face said to us, But mom, it's not midnight. And I was like, You're right, it's not midnight. May 1st came, and we were wondering, Lord, surely there will be a sign from you. And you know what? There was nothing. And Dan and I didn't know what to do. And we just kind of gathered around. We had all our stuff in storage. And we didn't know where to go. And the only place to go was the last place that all of you ever want to go, back to your parents. And so we packed up our bags and as we're getting in the car driving to our parents over an hour away, I was like, God, (laughs) funny, we're going, like, yeah, you see us? No, we moved in with my parents, all five of us, and two dogs in my childhood bedroom. I'm like, I don't even know if we can be married in my childhood bedroom, you know what I'm saying? I was like, all of this is wrong and awkward. And I thought, but surely, Lord, maybe you meant this week. Maybe you meant at the end of the week, but week after week after week went by. And I have to tell you that I felt like a fool. I thought, Lord, my family, they believed in this word that I believed I heard from you, and I am a fool. God, forgive me if I heard you wrong, but would you honor my faith? And every day we prayed. And it was so difficult, you guys. We are pastors and we would go to church and everybody every Sunday was like, did you find a house yet? They're like, do you have a real estate agent? I'm like, we have 40. I'm like, there's no way. There is no house and we don't have a way out. And so we looked and we looked and we looked. And the only thing that God spoke to me in that season was, I am faithful in the too late hour. Rebecca, I am faithful in the too late hour. He is the God who raised Lazarus from the dead when he was already dead. He knows the season you're walking through. He knows that it's been too long. He knows that you're past your prime. He knows exactly what's going on. And he is faithful in the too late hour. Several months into that, I woke up in the morning and Dan did what he always does and said, babe, how can I pray for you this morning? And I remember I just said... I have been faithful for six years and all of my faith is gone. I feel completely faithless and you guys, it was like the dark night of the soul. If you've ever lived through a season of life where you feel like your faith has been robbed from you, it is a dark night. I never knew that faith was such a gift, you guys. It's the gift of hope. It gives you life. It helps you move forward and I want to say this morning that if you've lost that gift of faith, let Jesus shower it upon you this morning that you would believe him again for things that you stopped believing him for. That you would understand that he is truly the God of miracles. I went to work that morning after crying to Dan and my coworkers were like, are you okay? And I just began to cry and I said, you know, I just feel like my faith is gone. It's not even about the house. I just feel so lost. I feel so empty. And an hour later, we got a phone call. You know, God is faithful in the too late hour when I was at the very, very end of myself. And we got a call from this family, they had gone to our church years ago, and they said to Dan, hey, do you guys still need a house? Dan was like, yes, we need a house, and they said, take a look and so we took the drive out to their house and as we pulled up it was too good to be true it was a house we couldn't afford 2,800 square feet with a tiny house in the back and a cabin and an RV hookup and a garden an acre and a half of land and we said I don't know if this is the house for us and I told her about the dream that when the provision of this rental house was over, your house would be waiting, and she said, that is so funny, because this house has been available since the 30th of April, and I told my husband, I think we ought to call the Mateers, and he said, I don't think the Mateers want to live this far out, and for seven weeks, she told her husband to call, until finally one day, when this pastor's wife's faith had run out completely, we got that phone call, and they said, we want to rent this house to you at whatever you can afford, and even rent to own we believe this house is yours amen and you know i want to say not every miracle turns out like this but this was a six-year test of faith a test of marriage it was a trial and i wonder this morning what miracle you have quit believing for i want to testify today that there is no one else that can meet the miracle but King Jesus. He is who he says he is. And it's true that some of our miracles happen on the other side of heaven. It's true that sometimes the miracle is just the strengthening of your character, that you become wives and husbands and children and aunts and uncles who believe God even in the midst of trial. And at the end of this, a song is going to be sung that... People are looking at your life. And I want the Lord to infuse in you this morning the gift of faith again. And so I want to pray over you today. I want to pray. Would you just take your hands, just lay them up, palm up in your lap for whatever it is that you need to believe him for. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that faith would rise up in this room. God, I pray for things that have been lost, things that are gone, things that are too far gone, Lord. I pray for miracles in this room, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for joy to return to people who are hopeless and depressed. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do things for these people. God, people who have been waiting for jobs, people who need homes, people who have been praying for babies, Lord Jesus. I pray for people who have children who are going through depression, people who have lost loved ones whose relationships are strained. Lord, there is no one else besides you. And I, this girl, stand up here as someone who felt like faith was gone. And now I say my faith will rise up. I believe who you are. I believe who you say you are, Lord. God, I pray that we as a people would testify that you are faithful in the too late hour. You are who you say you are, Lord. And I pray you would infuse your hope into this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be ministered to in this song.
4: filled with kindness and compassion.
5: mentor for years and he had a line that he would say and he would say God can't steer a parked car I know God can do anything but I understood what he was saying sometimes we're waiting for God to move and we kind of put the emergency brake and say God move me and I think faith is more like what Dan described go as far as you can if you can go six miles go six miles and let the Lord take you the rest of the way And the next day, let your faith be a little bit stronger. And let God take you the rest of the way. Let's do our part. Let's be people of faith who live lives of faith every day. Lord, I'll do my part. I can't do it all. But I'll live a life of faith, even in the hard times, in front of others and for you. And then, Lord, I'll trust that you take care of all the rest. So, God, today we stop as we close the service. Lord, help us to be people of faith, not people who stop and say, well, God, when you're ready to, you can do whatever you want, but people who are part of this process that we are growing in our faith and living out our faith. Lord, we'll go as far as we can with you, but we know, Lord, there are things that we simply cannot do. They're beyond us. And so, Lord, as people of faith, would you do more than we can do? Would you do the impossible, the miracle, God, as we prayed earlier, would you help us to turn a corner in our life, our ministry, our family? God, we trust you, and we will walk with you. And we know, God, that you are good, and you have great plans for us. Thank you for your presence and your voice here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen.